Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Shattered Lives, an important uh, and informed conversational cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And um, yes, indeed, it's always our goal to make a difference and uh, each and every week to present some cutting-edge information. And occasionally we have repeat guests, uh, such as today, who um, have a plethora of information to impart to our audience and um, to, uh, today we had a, um, a repeat guest who I guess we could say is a, is a semi, semi-regular guest, and, and that's always a good thing because he has much to offer, uh, Lieutenant Peter Sestere of the Horry County uh, Police Department. And um, rather than talking about specific cases today, we are going to delve into the, into the uh, focus of prevention, preventing being a crime victim, and uh, um, talking about different types of crime and kind of do's and don'ts, Uh, so a practical aspect. But before we uh, say good morning to uh, Peter, I want to touch base with Delilah and say, hi, Delilah, good morning. How's everything? Good morning. Good morning. Everything's great. And once again, um, I'm just going to repeat what you just said. It's great to have guests that can come back time and time again with new information for our audience because it's uh, it's always good to know everything they have to say. <laughs> I mean, not everything yeah. at one time we can't where well, there's no time to do that. But it's nice to know that they're willing to come back on a regular basis. And Peter is definitely one of our favorites. And I just want to put a plug out there real quick before we get started that um, we have an upcoming National Missing Persons Conference in Wilmington, North Carolina, coming up in March uh, 15th through the 18th in uh, 2018. So if there are Anyone in the audience who is uh, the family member of a missing person, law enforcement, um, advocates, uh, or anyone who's just willing to support the people um, that we support, 
you're welcome to come. And you can find details at the website, which is ncmissingpersons.org. And um, Peter will be there as long yes. as well as we will be there. So it's always it's always a very very informative, educational, and um, and and it's a it's a great time to network and socialize, but also to do our main our main job, which is to support the families of the missing and and homicide survivors. Correct. Yes. Yes, yes. ma'am. Yeah. Right. Um, I always got to get that in there because I am as well. And as people know, my my dad was missing for a short time. I clarified that, so I'm in both categories. Um, but I just, I, I, yeah, I just wanted to say too that you're you're working on putting up the mature. I mean, people are able to register now, but and you're going to be updating who is coming uh, for this current one very soon, correct? Yes, all the information will be updated and released very quickly. Okay, very cool. So we're we're really really looking forward to that, and it, it's so glad to have have Peter back. And hopefully his wife will be attending, too. She's a great person. So, Peter, good morning, and thank you so much for being being part of our show again. This is becoming a, a, a good habit. <laughs> good, good morning, Donna. Good morning, Delilah. And thank you again. It's, it's always a pleasure to come back on and, and spend some time with you ladies. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, you are always a good resource. And just wanted to remind people that if they cannot listen live, there is always the opportunity in about 30 minutes after we um, we finish that this will be available on the archives repeatedly over and over whenever you have a chance to listen. So you're, you're welcome to go to the link and listen. Um, now today, instead of um, doing cold cases um, and talking and discussing this, you came up with this topic, and I think it's very practical because although people think they know what to do in terms of common sense and not becoming a crime victim. I think there are a lot of things that people don't don't think about. You know, we have such a fast-paced society. Sometimes um, people are too distracted and they do things that are not in their best interest. So with, with regard to that and overall general crime prevention, I have a couple questions and maybe we can delve into each area that, you know, we, we can discuss here. So can you, with that, can you tell us what what's the biggest fallacy in your mind about crime prevention that maybe people think that is not really correct that um, maybe makes your job more difficult? What, is, what are the falsehoods here in terms of preventing crime? Um, I think a lot of it is just the initial shock that people go through that, that you know, for the most part, we all want to believe and 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 think that society in general is good and and we're not going to become a victim but the the truth is at some time during our lives each and every one of us has become a victim of something something has gone wrong that's necessitated the police getting involved the fire department emergency personnel some type of first responders coming to a system it may be something as simple as a death in the family, and you and no one is you know you you've not faced that before, and you know you have a natural death in the family, and and all of a sudden the police and 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 paramedics show up at your door, and 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 a loved one is you know has died of natural causes or something, 
there are traumatic events in our lives um, that that you know that set these things off. And and um, you know, yesterday, um, yesterday, very interestingly, I, I was out on a on a on an assignment. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm parked on the side of the road, and, and a pickup truck pulls alongside of me with a with a, a husband and wife in it who were probably in their um, early 60s, and just a nice couple. He and he stopped me to ask me a question, and the question was, he pulled into a Walmart parking lot a few days before, went in to do some shopping, was coming out of the store. And he was approached by a by a male who gave him a sob story about how um, he he uh, lost his wallet and, and the keys to his car. He had been robbed and something of that nature. And and now he had no money, no way to get into his car, no way to get any food or anything of that nature. And and um, you know he this this couple that you know that he that he stopped took such a liking to him, such a believable story, that they offered to help him. And they offered to give him, they, they actually handed him two $50 bills to try and enable him to, you know, to, to, to get back on his feet and get in his vehicle and get some food and help his family, when in essence this was just a, a situation a where this guy preyed on him. It was a scam. Um, I've had that happen to me as well in a in a in a, a, a parking lot, Staples, Walmart here in the Greater Hartford yep. area, and I almost fell for it. <laughs> so this, how do you what do you do in case, that situation? Well, in this particular case, the, the 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 scam artist actually said, you know, here, let me give you my phone number. The only thing I have left is my phone because it was in my pocket. He gets the phone number from from the couple calls their phone and says, now you have my number, you can contact me as soon as I, you know, as soon as I get in my car and get everything back together and able to pick my family up, I promise you I'm going to send you back the $100 that you just gave me. Well, of course, you know, an hour later when they called that phone number, it was disconnected. He had used one of those, you know, quick um, uh, phones or, phones or one of those things that, um, oh, wow. and changed the number already on it. So, you know, no matter how believable the story is, my answer to anyone, and it's happened to me, people have approached me, they don't they don't know I'm a police officer when I'm walking around in jeans or shorts and a T-shirt, and they say, yeah. oh, you know, this, this has happened, you know, can you help me out? And I tell them, sure, and, and I immediately take my phone out of my pocket and say, hold on one minute, I'll call 911 and we'll get an officer here that will help you. And all of a sudden that person <laughs> disappears. So, okay, that's a good. That, so that's a method that we can use as well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you're approached by somebody who genuinely seems like they need help, let's help them. Let's let's pick okay. out pick up that phone, call nine one one, and get them the help they need. Chances are, they really don't need help, and they're going to leave the minute you dial that phone. Yeah. Um, in, in my case, it was a, a, a gentleman that said that his uh, child was at the local children's hospital and was having uh, organ donation, and they were, you know, trying to get set up before the operation took place, and they didn't have <clears throat> money and all. 
So ultimately I went into the, I think it was Staples, and I talked to the management, and they said, yeah, this person has come in and scammed, and we talked to the police department, and all they did essentially was to tell the tell the guy to move on, but in the interim, they had collected lots of money. So, Peter, what what can the police do if they're creating a nuisance, but yet can they actually arrest them and do something else? Well, if the, if the store has a no soliciting policy, and most stores do, they're on yep. private property and they're soliciting. They can at least be summoned um, where, where they're going to have to appear in court or have a warrant issued against them. So there, there are... There are some forms of recourse. If you know something like that, let the store management know, and ask them to call the police that the person is outside. They're they're trespassing on the store's property and therefore can be summoned for that. Okay, all right. That that is one thing. Well, well, that's a classic example to begin with, with regard to some of the things to um to to watch out for. But um. I want to back up a little bit and just ask, can you can you tell us what the difference is uh, w- with regard to different charges of um, what makes a, a crime a misdemeanor versus a felony? And are they, uh, uh, is it, I know it's severity in terms of the crime, but are um, felonies any easier to commit than, than misdemeanors? And how does that work? No, that's correct. It is. It's based on the severity of the crime, and a lot of times it's based on the dollar value if if there's a theft or something involved. In other words, if you know if if I steal something from your property that's valued at less than a thousand dollars, it's probably going to be a misdemeanor. If I steal something from your property that's valued greater than that, chances are it's going to fall into a felony category. Um, Oh, but. The, the, the big thing, I mean, one of the things that that, that I think we, we should kind of touch on is personal security and what things that you can do to help prevent becoming a victim or, or should you become a victim, things you need to know or, or to do or not to do before the police get there. Okay. Um, for, for instance, you know, most of us... Uh, either own a home or, or rent an apartment or rent a home. And, and you know, and, and obviously we're gone during periods of the day where, where our home is, for the most part, left unprotected. Hopefully we've locked the doors and left. But simple things, I mean, I see it riding through my own neighborhood. I, I can drive down the street and I know at, in, at nighttime what neighbors are home and what neighbors aren't based on the fact that, that lights aren't on in the house. Um, and I've gone to HOA meetings and property association meetings to tell them things that they can do to prevent becoming a potential victim. For for instance, in my house, I have an alarm system and I have cameras on my house, and that's gone through great expense to get that, and a lot of people can't afford those things. However, if you have an alarm system in your house, Obviously, it's going to trigger if somebody tries to get in, um, and and if the and if the alarm is monitored by a company, they're going to notify the police or or, or whatever the emergency may be. <coughs> but if you don't have an alarm, the the bad guy doesn't know that. You can go into Home Depot, you can go into Lowe's, you can go into any hardware store, and you can buy stickers 
that you can put on the windows in your home that say, you know, home protected by ABC Alarm Company. Now, me as a bad guy, if I'm coming up and, and I want to break into your house and I see that you've got stickers that say your home's protected by an alarm, I'm probably not going to try that house. I'm going to move on and find one that looks a little more or, or a little less protected. So the only person that knows whether or not you have an alarm is you. And if you put stickers up, even if you don't have one, it's a form of, uh, of a deterrent to, to somebody who wants to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with cameras. Um, I, I've got cameras um, um, both outside and inside my home. You can go into stores and buy inexpensive camera systems and, and install them yourselves, and they're great. The cameras I have alert my cell phone if there's movement. It records if something happens. I can get a pretty clear image of, you know, of somebody coming or going on my property. Um, what, what would be the determining factor for some if, if they were able to afford to get them or even the inexpensive ones to say, um, I've reached the point where I need to get this versus just having the deadbolt and the sticker. Like, for instance, if they're an intimate partner, violence, um, victim, and they're, they're, they're concerned about stalking and the person coming back, what would make the person decide, oh, I really now need to have cameras because there, there's someone after them? Is, is that what it is, or is it just protecting them from vandalism, or what? Well, I, I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, if, if you know that, that you're in a um, domestic relationship that's, that, that's volatile and, and, you know, that may be something that you want to, to, you know, on your house or in your home to document it. Um, mm -hmm. so if, if, if you're in a domestic relationship and, and you're having problems with, you know, with your significant other, um, you can, in the middle of a, you know, in the middle of an argument or an event that's, that's beginning, it's helpful if you have a cell phone to, to turn it on and record it. You know, even mm -hmm. if you, you know, even if you hit record and drop the phone on the floor, it, at least it's recording. Or if you dial 911 and drop the phone, the 911 dispatchers are going to get that as an open line. They're going to continue to monitor it and record it while they send an emergency response. So it's always good to have either, you know, a, a camera recording it, a, 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 uh, your cell phone connected into somebody that can that can record it and and send a response. Okay, and and for if if you're in a condominium complex or or assisted living or something, those associations consider um, having like cameras a. Uh, a good thing, and maybe you can get a break on your insurance or something like that. I mean, they they don't prohibit you or give you a hard time for installing those things. Is that right? No, not at all. That's it's actually it is a cost savings if you have an alarm system or a camera system. You if you call your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance, chances are you're going to get a significant um, uh, decrease in your in your annual premiums or your monthly costs because you have that system installed. Okay. That, that's what but I there's, thought. There's, there's other simple things to, to, to know. Um, you know, for instance, uh, a lot of people don't lock their doors, and I, and I really don't understand why. Um, 
a lot of people do not, you know, leave the door to their home unlocked. Um, you should be locking your door even, you know, even if you're home, you don't want somebody just um, inadvertently walking in. If somebody's looking to commit a crime, you don't, you know, you don't want to open it up and be a victim because your door is unlocked. Um, you want to make sure things like the address for your for your house or, or apartment are clearly visible that um, if uh, emergency response is coming, um, they they can find the address quickly by you know seeing it visibly on the front of the house or at the curb or on a mailbox or something. Um, we constantly get people, uh, probably several times a day, that call the police and say, you know, my car was broken into, and the first question we ask is, was it locked, and what was taken, and everything from laptops to to wallets to credit cards to purses to handguns to Christmas presents to you name it have been stolen from vehicles and 99 out of 100 times that the the owner left the vehicle unlocked. Uh, Peter I have a question about along those lines I mean I I I belong to a website called nextdoor.com and it's quite interesting and this seems to be one of the things that people report about is that, oh, my car was broken into and they stole my gun. Why do mm-hmm. people keep their gun in the car to begin with? I don't understand well, that. Well, hmm. depending upon the state you live in, um, for instance, <clears throat> if you live in the Northeast, New York, I'll, I'll use New York because I'm, I'm familiar with the laws there, you, you are not allowed to keep a gun uh, in a car. You, everybody who owns a gun has to have it registered to them. It, it's got to be a permit for it um, and so forth. Or you, or you have to be a police officer and so forth. And part of owning it and, and getting that um, right to, to possess or carry a gun also includes making sure that the gun is secured all the time. I think it's the same in Connecticut. It, we have very strict laws after Sandy Hook. Yeah, and, and well, now in South Carolina and a lot of the southern states, um, there is no requirement. I can walk into, or anybody can walk into a store with a valid driver's license, have a criminal history check done on them, and, and possess a firearm. And part of possessing a firearm in the South allows you to, to without having a what they call a carry permit, you can keep that firearm in your car, loaded, in a, in a glove box. You can keep it in the trunk. You can keep it in your home, in a business. The minute you put that gun on your person, you have to have a concealed weapons permit. But it can be concealed in your car without having to, to, to go and file for a concealed weapons permit. So people consequently have guns and, and leave them in their car or leave them in their home. And, you would think it would you know, just take a little bit of common sense that um, you know that you see this reported time again, and, and like you said earlier, a lot of the times the car doors were not even locked, so yeah. anybody can just right. go in, rifle through your glove box, find a gun, and then use it to commit another crime. Yeah. Right, or exactly. you're, you're carrying children as passengers. That's just like it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, how much does a, a conceal and carry permit? cost is, is that what's deterring them from not getting no. that and 
or locking the glove box or something? No, the, the cost is minimal for the permit. It's it's a matter of attending a, a safety class so that so that the instructor knows that you have the basic safety concepts, you know how to fire the weapon, you know how to clean it and load it and unload it safely without hurting yourself. We get a lot of people mm-hmm. who who inadvertently end up shooting themselves because or or someone else or or something because they just didn't know how to properly handle the weapon. Oh, that's ridiculous. But it, it, it's it's crazy. It, and and while I'm on cars and and security, let let me give the listeners another tip. If you don't have an alarm system at home, most of us most of us have a car that has a key fob now, and that we can lock and unlock our car, you know, remotely from that key fob. Some are fancy enough to have a an auto start feature, but most cars now come with a key fob. If you don't have an alarm system for your home, keep that key fob on your nightstand at night when you go to sleep. If you hear noises outside the house or, or you feel like something is, is uncomfortable or not going right, trigger your key fob to set your car alarm off. Simply setting off a car alarm, that audible sound, and, and some cars have the flashing headlights and all with it. Or to start is, your car enough, to startle them? Uh-huh. Yeah, is enough, to, is enough to distract that person and startle them to think, uh-oh, something's wrong, you know, somebody knows I'm here. And chances are it will, it will ward off any, any, you know, potential criminal. That's a good suggestion, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the other thing people do that, that that is quite puzzling, and you know, and 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 I'm, you know, I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm a person that that's done it too. Is, you know, we keep garage remotes in in our vehicle. If you know, if you if you have a garage that you park in, and you know, chances are up on the visor or up on the up on the overhead of you know above the the mirror is your garage door unlocks. Well, if you've left your car unlocked in the driveway and somebody gets into it, they also have the ability now to get into your house because you've given them the option of getting into your garage as well. So all the more reason to keep your car locked and, and to hide, you know, if you use a separate garage door opener, you know, one of the ones that came with the door instead of with the car, don't keep it visible in the car where somebody can see it because they know that's a way to get into your house as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And hopefully you keep your garage door locked where they wouldn't have ultimate access. But I would think if you're, you don't lock your car, you probably don't lock your garage either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I've had I've had you know elderly people ask me well you know I, I can't afford alarm system I can't afford a, um, you know I can't afford cameras um, I don't own a car you know um, how can I protect myself a little better you know at home and, and again it, it, there's all kinds of security devices that you can that you can buy relatively inexpensive anything from a um, from a, a stick that mounts behind your you're, you know, inside your house on the back of the door against the handle to prevent somebody from pushing the door open, um, to, to things as foolish as, you know, go out to a, to a you know, to a garage sale or, or, or a store and buy a, a big pet bowl, 
and a, and a sticker that says beware of dog and put it on your house. If you don't have a pet, again, the bad guy doesn't know it, but if he sees a huge dog bowl sitting on the front porch and and a right. you know or, or a or a you know a, something you know a sign that says beware a dog, chances are they're not going to want to challenge a dog as well as attempt to steal your your things. Right. That's that's good. What about the um, thing that I think everyone realizes if you got a big planter there, everyone hides their key under the planter there by the front door or something. You shouldn't do that, right? No, it's it, <laughs> you know because the, the bad guy is going to look in the obvious places. Um, you know, I'm going to walk up and look at um, th- these fake rock things that are key holders or. I'm going to look under the mat. I'm going to feel above the the door frame. Um, I'm going to look in the mailbox to see if there, if there's a key. There, there's so many so many places that we think are are not obvious, but they're actually very obvious. You got to remember, you're dealing with professionals here. They've been doing this for the most part for a while, and and uh, you know, and, and so they know what to do. Well. Peter, um, do you think, I mean, just taking all these crimes as a whole, are in today's world, are people just too busy, careless, they lack in uh, um, observing their environment, or they're too distracted by electronics to, to do some of these things? I mean, why is it some of these things, they're, all of these things, are, they're very preventable if you take a little more time, right, and it becomes habit. If you do it over and over, if you start a new behavior in three weeks, <laughs> it becomes habit, yeah. right? I, so what is I it think, that makes people not do these things? Come and I, I think it's just, I think it's just the, the the thought that most of us come across is that it's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to somebody else. But here's an, here's another, here's a huge problem that we face on a daily basis. Take a home, for instance, or, or a car. We, we respond on a call. You know, you come home in, in during the day or in the evening, and you realize your, your house has been broken into. Your first reaction is to go, oh, no, they got in my house. And you, you, you go in and you see what they did, and you start looking through, oh, you pick up the jewelry box. Oh, they, they got my jewelry. Oh, look at this. They went into here. They went into there. They, what you've done now is you've touched everything that potentially the bad guy has touched and you've cross-contaminated any potential of us getting quality fingerprints or DNA from that item. Now we can take your fingerprints and your DNA and hopefully eliminate it but if you've touched over what they've touched you've ruined our chances of getting anything viable that we might be able to identify that person from. Remember, people who do people who do burglaries, for the most part, this ain't their first time. They've done it several times. So chances are, their fingerprints may be in the, the national system. Their DNA might very well be, have been recorded um, when they were arrested before. So, if we're able to get DNA or, or fingerprints or something of that nature, something that that they've dropped or left behind that they've touched that we can get touch DNA off of, we might just be able to identify who that person is 
and maybe reclaim some of your items or at least arrest them for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And so they tend for- to, to go to certain neighborhoods that they see maybe are more vulnerable. There's a cluster of them, and then they may leave and then come back even sometimes. Is that true? <clears throat> oh, they will. They definitely, I mean, uh, they definitely prey upon where they want to hit, at least the, the, these seasoned criminals do. They, they'll go out and they'll ride through a neighborhood and they'll look for homes that they potentially want to come back and look at. They may even come back in the evening to see if there's lights on or when somebody's home or when they're not home. That's why it's important to, even if you're away, put timers on lights so that give the appearance that somebody is home. Have lights turn off and on in the house at various times with with these remote timers. Let let it look like somebody's there even if they're not. Um, right. Don't let your mail build up outside. Don't let newspapers build up outside. When I go away, I don't even like to tell the post office or the, or the newspaper person, hey, I'm going to be away the next week. I don't know if I trust them either, but I do trust my neighbors. You know, we look out for one another. So I'll go to my next-door neighbor and say, hey, I'm going to be away the next week. Can you pick up my mail and grab my newspaper? Um, that way, it's being picked up regularly. So if somebody comes by and opens up my mailbox and looks in it, I'm not going to lose the checks that I had mailed to me or the credit card that was mailed to me or or personal effects that were mailed to me. Uh, I'm, it, it's not going to have the appearance that I'm away. It's going to look like any normal day at my house. Mm-hmm. There's also the yellow card that you can fill out with the U.S. Post Office, which I do, and you and our mailboxes happen to be locked here now. They weren't. So, I mean, if you can trust that person, you know, and, and I don't know, but that that's kind of how I do it. Um, right. I don't go and advertise and, and, and all of that either. And it is true that you want to establish a good relationship, even with a couple of neighbors, because the, our, our fast-paced society, even in today's world, you don't know your neighbors that well, it, especially if you happen to still be working. And the people that are retired, you get out and you talk to them when you're gardening or you're shoveling snow or whatever it is. But in, in my neighborhood, you don't really, sometimes you don't really know your neighbors that well. And that's and that's definitely a problem. And if that's the case, you know, then you then you don't have much of a choice but to notify the the postal service or, or the or the uh, uh, newspaper carrier. But if you do have that option, try to avoid you know notifying them and and you know let your neighbors pitch in because it also alerts them that you're away and lets them know to look out. For, you know, for your property and you know, your, your car, your home, whatever the case may be. Sure. I, I would like to talk a little bit about um, some financial security, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. We get an awful lot of people that receive telephone scams, scams through the mail, scams like I, I told you at the beginning of the program with the couple who were approached by somebody um, coming out of a, a, a Walmart store. Um, if you, we all go to, or most of us probably use ATMs to do um, transactions or to get cash and so forth. <clears throat> One of the things that I do is pick your location. 
I bank at a very prominent bank, and, and their ATM happens to be in the back of the bank, um, and it's not visible from the roadway. So at night, I don't like to use that ATM because I'm not visible where a police car coming by can see, and it, and it puts it as a vulnerable spot for somebody who wants to rob you at an ATM where they can wait in the bushes or so forth, and no one's going to see them. No one's going to see you, and, and, and essentially they can contain you and you can be the victim until they're done committing their act. So pick your, pick your places. If, if, you know, if, they, if you go to an ATM that's not clearly visible, um, mm-hmm. it's in the back of the bank or something like that, maybe don't use it at night or on the weekends when there's no traffic back there. Go to another branch. Even if you have to go to a branch and, and, and pay a $2 fee or something to use their ATM because it's visible, I'd rather see people do that. Um, credit cards. It always says on the back of the credit card, sign your name here. Well, now if somebody gets your credit card, they not only have your card and your numbers, but they also have your signature. I always write on the back of my credit cards, check ID. And you'd be surprised how many stores look at it and don't even ask. But, you know, that's on them if, you know, if they didn't. But at least well, why, is I'm it not... ne- why is it even necessary, Peter? If they have your number on there, they can check. Why do you need to sign it? I, I I never really understood that. I don't. I never sign a credit card. Okay, um, that's that people is do a thing. lot of online purchases now. We're we're getting more and more into ordering through, you know, this and that, and Amazon and eBay and all these things, and that's great. But be be mindful of of where you're putting your credit card information out to, and and uh, who's getting it, and and if you're doing it from a computer. You should be going in and clearing the history of that computer when you're done so that it's not there in case your computer gets hacked or you get a virus or something of that nature that um, is going to put that information out there. Um, Computers are a big problem. We get a lot of financial thefts um, through them. Uh, We also get a lot of people who fall prey on telephone. You know, people will call up with a scam. You'll get organizations that'll call up and say we we support the police benevolent and you know if you care to make a a, a twenty five dollar donation you know it'll help the widows and children's fund. Be careful yeah. who you yeah. who you give money to. If I give money to someone, it's generally through the organization directly and, and you know and and in person or or mailed to a reputable. Um, organization, it's not over the phone and with a credit card or right. or a promise to do anything. Yeah, uh, Peter, let me ask you about this because it, it it relates here in terms of your credit cards. And as you know, Myrtle Beach is one of the the, the most prominent places for people to travel. And they your travel your the credit card companies, at least the the two that I use, I always recommend that prior to your travel that you call them and let them know that you're traveling from point A to point B and if there's other activity on your card, say from not from your primary state but from to your travel destination so they can be aware of that and be um, 
more likely to monitor transactions? Is that is that something that you should be routinely doing when you travel before you travel to alert your credit card companies? It it is definitely a good practice. Um, I, and, and I have to say, I'm I'm probably a big offender of that. I don't because I travel so often, and I use so many different credit cards that it would I'd be constantly calling them to say, oh, I'm going to be traveling here, I'm going to be traveling there. But it, but if you don't travel as often, you, you know, mm-hmm. and and you have the ability to do that, that's an excellent suggestion. Is you know, let your credit card companies know if you're going to be going somewhere, especially if you're going to go out of the country. You know, once once you leave the U.S. or the continental U.S., you're going to have a problem with your cards if you haven't already alerted the bank that you're going to be traveling like that. Okay. Uh, you know, with travel the way it is now, um, I, I had put something on Facebook about a year or two ago. We had my my wife and I had been out in um, in Idaho, and we uh, we flew back from Idaho. So. I charged something in the morning at the airport in Idaho. I landed in in, um, in Minneapolis. I charged something there, food or something. I then landed in Atlanta. I charged something there. I then landed in Myrtle Beach. I charged there. I got in my car. I got gas, and and now I drove up to Virginia and got food and so forth. And and at one point, my cell phone actually rang, and it was it was American Express asking me, um, is there, you know, there's potential fraud on your card. We're, we're tracking five transactions in the last, you know, eight hours in, <laughs> right. in, in five or six different states across the country. And I and I laughed and I said, thank you for calling me, it, but it is me. All of the transactions are out. Yeah, so it is a good practice to try to let them know if if you yes. can. And so, yeah, that's a very good that's a very good example. So thank you for sharing that one. Um, we, we just had a, a we just had an interesting thing, and I actually it, it, I, I chuckle over it because it happened to me at work. And mind you, when I answer the phone in my office, I answer it: Horry County Police, Lieutenant Sustair, how can I help you? Well, I begin to get a recorded message that says, "This is the IRS, and we are filing a, a lawsuit against you." Um, if you stay on the line, you'll be connected with an operator that will tell you how to handle this procedure. So I, I was intrigued. I said, okay, let me stay on the line and see what happens. Well, an operator comes on who could barely speak um, a recognizable form of English and told me that um, uh, there was a, a, a lawsuit filed by IRS against me and that they were going to seize all my assets and my home and my cars. And I said, oh, heavens you know, let's get this fixed right away. How can I help you? And they said, well, we need your name. We need your. Um, we need to you to verify your, your date of birth, your Social Security number, your <laughs> bank routing code, and PIN number. And I said, oh, certainly, let me give that to you. But first, let me just explain to you that you've called the police department. Well, click, they hung up. <laughs> so I dialed them back right away. And, and of course, um, you know, it just it, it gets filtered through all these different phone switching stations, and I never really got back to whomever was trying to uh, get all my information. But it was a believable story, and and I could see how elderly victims or young, uh, you know, elderly persons or young persons could fall prey to something as simple as that. Well, first of 
all, Peter, if they're saying they're calling and saying that you are, you know, you are the victim of this and we need this and that and the other thing, I would say, well, you, you claim that I'm already a victim. You have all that information. This is the scam. Hang up. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. Well, and, and the other thing to know is the IRS doesn't call you. The IRS is going to send you a certified letter that comes from them, that gives you a, you know, a point of contact in the actual IRS to, to deal with it. And, and, you know, you're going to be told to appear for a hearing on such and such a date. That's the only IRS notification you should accept. Right. Well, one type of phone scam I wanted to ask you about, because I've seen it in the news a couple of times, and we're getting these you know, phone calls on our cell phones that we don't remember, we don't recognize. And they're saying, you know, when they when they say, can you hear me, that some kind of scam artists are making a voice print or something and can hack your phone. So consequently, I don't even answer or connect my answering machine phone at home anymore because I, I don't know whether to believe that. And can you explain about that? Is that true that there are these scammers that make some kind of a voice print um, if if they if you answer it? That's true, and they can record your voice and use your voice in voice recognition software and so forth. So it is definitely something that you have to be mindful of. We've got to be careful with what we do with passwords, what we do with PIN numbers for things. Um, I, you know, I have, I have probably 52, well, probably closer to 100 different accounts that I use to log on to either police software, personal software, um, that I have to have a username and a password for, then every one of my credit cards has a PIN number and a username and a password, and everything I belong to or, or travel on, airlines or whatever, we've got usernames and passwords. Be careful with how you store those. <coughs> I see too many people that just keep a list in their wallet with their um, credit card, no, you know, credit card number you know, username and password. If you lose your wallet or you lose your pocketbook, all of that information is readily available to whoever finds it. And, and chances mm -hmm. are somebody's going to use it and you're going to pay the price on it. Um, you need to be very careful. There are, and I don't want to give names of them, but there are programs out there that you can use that securely lock your information. So if you've got multiple usernames and passwords that you need to use, I keep them and I keep them in a file that I can access with one user ID and password um, where I can then view all of my usernames and passwords for various accounts that I have to have. Um, and I can access that pretty much from, from any electronic device, whether it be a, a cell phone, a computer, or whatever but it's got a very secure locking system, and it also alerts me if somebody has tried to gain entry to it. So I'll know immediately it, every time I try to go into it to look for something or if someone else tried to falsely use my ID. So those things are good to, 
good to have if you need some type of security for those uh, user IDs and passwords and so forth, and emergency information, things that you need to have access to. Mm-hmm. Well, when people actually do call the police and say, "Oh, my security," or do you do? Does every police department have their own like IT division that is trying to help them with these, or do they refer them to? Oh, you have to call your 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 bank, or you have to call this, or you have to call that. In terms of investigating some of these security breaches or whatnot, what what can the police actually do? Okay, let me give you let me give you a quick scenario that just happened about a week ago. A young lady mm-hmm. called me and she had um, she had checks mailed to her home. Um, you know, you start to run out of checks and and you right. you, know, you you call the bank or you go online or you go to the bank and they mail them to your house. First of all, you probably shouldn't do that. Have them mailed to the bank and pick them up there if you can. But in her case, she had the mail to her house. Someone stole them from her mailbox before she got home and immediately began writing checks against her account. Um, We were able to quickly identify that person from some of the places they went into based on video surveillance and so forth. But when we went to the bank to try and get copies of the check, the bank wants a search warrant from us. That takes time for us to go back and type up a search warrant to get that information. And then it takes time for the bank to provide that information, where if you as the, as the um, bank account holder went in and said, I need copies of these transactions to take to the police, they'll give them to you immediately. So okay. sometimes you can help us if something has happened by either going with the officer to the bank and getting that information for the officer right there so that we can immediately begin to, to work on that as opposed to having to wait until we can get a warrant, until a bank fulfills the the nature of the warrant and we get that information. Um, But it's it's helpful if something like that has happened that you call the police right away, get them involved, get a report written, and, and try to assist in getting copies of whatever documents are needed to prove that crime has occurred. So you as the victim ultimately are the most direct route in accessing documentation and things like that. Most certainly, most certainly. You, you, it's your information. You have the right to it. We're there to help you, and, and we'll get it if you can't by, you know, by doing the search warrant um, uh, aspect of it. But it's certainly quicker for you to walk into the bank and say, you know, this just happened, I need copies of this, the police are going to investigate it. They'll provide them to you immediately. Yeah. Okay, that's that's good information. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to ask in general are that um, historically over time, I know you've been a police officer for more than 35 years and whatnot, but do you, do you see over time that, you know, there are certain crimes that are more prevalent than others because of what's going on in in society like oh in the 70s it was like this in the 80s or are you know is it pretty stable in terms of um you know oh we we generally have this this um amount of homicide and this amount of burglary what what has changed historically with regard to to crime over time that you can tell us about 
time, although times change, <coughs> crime has certainly increased. And I know there are cities like New York that say, oh, crime has decreased. It, well, yes, they've decreased some crimes, but others have increased. Um, I, I, I truly don't know of any area in the United States that has an adequate number of police to properly investigate the crimes that are occurring there. I know where I am in South Carolina, we certainly don't have enough. We need more, and, and, and hopefully someday we'll get there. But drugs play a very big factor in crimes. Um, right now, our entire country is plagued with people who are addicted to, to pills, people who are addicted to um, heroin and cocaine and marijuana and everything else. And some of those life-altering drugs will will do mind-altering effects, and people become so dependent on them that they're going to commit crimes to supply that habit. Um, that's a lot of what we see on a day-to-day -day basis is is thefts of opportunity, people stealing things that they can take to a pawn shop or sell somewhere quick to get a few dollars. You know, they'll come and steal a a, a thousand dollar gold necklace from you, and they'll sell it for 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 fifty dollars at a pawn shop because that's going to buy them their next high. That's going to get them their next whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so drugs definitely plays a big role in our society as far as crimes. Um, there's all kinds of of reasons. Some are just you know. People think it's you know why why should I work when I can when I you know when when I can go steal it from them I'm only going to make seven or eight dollars an hour and that person over there obviously makes a lot of money so I can take their things and I don't have to worry about having to work for it. Um, it it's just a matter of being more conscious to our surroundings and 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 what we do and how we do it and who we deal with. It, it's important to to not be the victim. But the reality is sometime in our life, we're all going to probably be victim at least one time. I know I have. Um, mm -hmm. okay. I, I have probably multiple times things stolen from me or, or, you know, I left it laying somewhere and walked away and then turned around and, and in that instance said, you know, oh gosh, it's gone. Um, you know, right. and a lot of times, just our own stupidity you know we we feel we feel foolish that that we allowed it to happen so we never report it sex crimes women women and men for that matter are afraid a lot of times to to report a sex crime because they feel so violated that they don't want to have to recant the act or i mean retell the act or tell the story of what happened they feel so so foolish or so victimized that they don't report it. it. It's important that we know and maybe we stop the next person from becoming a victim. Right. And one of the crimes that we really, I mean, in the last maybe 10 years, it has, has risen to the public consciousness that maybe we didn't have to deal with in the 50s, 60s, 70s is human trafficking, of course, right? So along with drugs and intimate partner violence, you've got trafficking, which is the second most prolific 
crime ever, and we just had a, a wonderful guest on last week to talk about her experiences from New Hampshire. And I'm just thinking with the preponderance of crime and the and the the variety and which ones are most profitable. I mean, is it like you know putting a teaspoon in the in the ocean trying to address it? I mean, is there hope there that? The, that law enforcement is making progress. Where, where is it? And just to let you know, we've got four minutes left to the show, Peter. Where, where mm-hmm. is it that we're making some traction here in 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 making progress with these types of crimes? I, I think law enforcement agencies in general are getting um, uh, more savvy. As as criminals get better, we get better at the same time. There's constantly. Um, new software and computer systems and and data resources and databases that we can look at to try and help solve these or prevent a lot of it. I think a lot of it is is, um, relationship, recognition, and so forth. Um, It it, it pays to, to, to understand what your law enforcement agency is capable of. Um, and I know we're, we're short of time, but if you if you contact the police and you feel like you got no response or or you didn't get an adequate answer from that officer that came to to help you, remember everybody has a boss, everybody has a supervisor that they report to. If you don't feel satisfied with the results that you got, contact that person's supervisor or a supervisor from that agency or or the chief of police or the sheriff, somebody needs to provide you with an answer that you can understand and you can accept and and will help you determine if it's going to get solved, if it's not going to get solved, or what recourse you have. Um, we have. We all have somebody we answer to. And, you know, again, you you've got to don't just take first value if, you know, there's officers out there that um, that do great jobs, and I'm sure there's a few out there that don't do a great job. So if you feel like you've encountered one of them, go to the next level. Get somebody right. who's going to help. You do have to advocate for yourself, even though you are you are the victim sometimes. And, and like I say, and you know, some people just don't have energy to do that. So if you can't do that yourself too, and there's somebody that cares about you to, to, to try to help if you feel so vulnerable and hurt in, in whatever it is that has happened to you, you know. Um, so I think this has been, you know, really, really valuable information here. Are there it, it, are there um, any particular parting thoughts or messages that you want to convey about this topic today? Before we I, sign off, go ahead. I just want to thank you ladies again for, for um, giving me the opportunity to, to be on and share some time with you. And as I've said in, in the past, I, I'm always available, um, you know, through, either through email or, or um, through uh, my office phone. If somebody has a question or a concern or they just need um, to ask, you know, advice on something, I'm here. I'd be more than happy to help. And if and if I can't, I'll get somebody who can. So uh, I'm always here for um, oh. for people. 
Great. Give us give us that information in case you wanted to, um, just in general, if somebody that's listening from the Horry County area, you want to give that information? Sure. You can. One of the easiest ways to get me through through the police department is simply to go to CSI at OryCounty.org, and it's H-O-R-R-Y County dot O-R-G. Um, that comes to both myself and my evidence supervisor. Um, one of us will, will or, or both of us will answer the question and, you know, or, or the concern and try and help you in any way we can. Excellent. Well, well, thank you so much for everything that you do for us, and thank you for caring so much for, uh, for, for crime victims. You're, you're, you're a blessing to us, and, and um, I, I surely appreciate it. So, Delilah, you have any parting comments before we sign off? Yeah, just quickly, because we are out of time, I just, again, want to thank Peter for being in my community and doing all that yeah. he does to keep us safe and and allowing us to give that information to our listeners and our audience. So it can it's universal safety, so use it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, indeed. So, so thank you so much, um, Peter and Delilah. We're going to sign off for today's edition. Be sure to listen to it on the archives, and we'll see you for the next show. Peter, All right. Thank you, ladies. Have a great day. Okay, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 